seat. Hey, this morning about this, we're going to take our offering. Um, and as that kind of happens, I wanted to read something to you off my phone. I, uh, our church is a part of a collection of churches in our, here in Arvada that really work together um, and do some really, really fun stuff together to meet the needs in our community. And I think I told you, I believe I told you, that your part of your giving um, in November went towards an, an effort to uh, do something really special for some people at Arvada High School. Now, I don't know if you're familiar much with the high schools around here, but Arvada High School's uh, kind of the rougher part of the high schools. Um, we love Arvada High School. In fact, there is a movement amongst our churches um, and amongst teachers and administrators at Arvada High School to turn things around in a more positive direction. And one of the things that was that blew me away is we found out that there are 50 homeless families at Arvada High School. There are homeless kids. They, they actually, and defined by homeless, meaning they don't have uh, a consistent place to stay. They're on someone's couch. Uh, sometimes they're, when the weather's nice, they're in family vans or cars. They're, they're maybe at some week-by-week -week hotel situations. And so a bunch of churches pitched in and got turkeys and Walmart gift cards for 50 families at Arvada High School. And we got a, a note from uh, the family engagement liaison. Her name is Lisa Vega Fields. And just expressing her gratitude to us. Uh, she said, families were extremely grateful and fe felt very valued. It allowed me the opportunity to introduce them to our new family resource center. So it actually brought families a little bit more into uh, some services that could be very helpful uh, and gain a, a personal connection with the families and awareness of their needs. He, she says, I am following up with many of the families and have already heard back from many of them. And so there's just some things that we're doing as a collection of churches and there's a, there's a whole bunch coming up this year um, as we get involved with Arvada High School. And so I just wanted to let you guys know that, that part of what you do here and part of your sacrificial giving actually goes to some big things. And so really excited about that. Um, and uh, so thanks for letting me do that. Thanks for, let, for letting me share that. So, hey, if you have a Bible, um, grab it. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew for a while. If you want one, if you, if you didn't bring one and you thought, I'm going to do the smartphone thing, that's totally fine too. But we have a stack back here in the middle. Um, and Barrett's grabbing one right now. And, um, and so feel free to get up and grab a Bible if you want to get coffee, whatever. Uh, we are well on our way. Matthew chapter 3 uh, is where we're beginning. And you might be saying, well, why aren't we starting in Matthew 1 or 2? We just did all that stuff in Advent. So, uh, you know, the manger scene, you know, that kind of stuff. So we're going to kick it off in Matthew chapter 3. And what happens here is, um, is a lot. Um, and I was talking to Dan before the service um, Studying this chapter again for the, uh, for the many time, um, uh, it was actually something, I got, I got so much out of it the last couple of weeks, and so I can't wait to share with you. One of the things you need to understand about Jesus is Jesus' words, Jesus, when we find out what Jesus says, when you read what Jesus says, most of his words are about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. They're not about hell and sin and rules and all this other stuff. 
They're about a whole different way to live, a whole different way to order your world, our world, um, in congruence with, I mean, in, in, in light of what God's intention was, okay? So in creation, how it was supposed to be, and then uh, how it got disrupted and disordered, and Jesus arrives with an announcement that says, no, this is how it's going to be. This is, I'm announcing a new way to live, a new reality that's coming. And, and so that's Jesus' platform, if you will. That's his agenda. In fact, you know, we just got through this, this, just this wonderful, peaceful presidential election, right? And it was just, does anybody miss it, right? It was just, the whole point, though, what I'm trying to tell you is that if Jesus ran for president on a platform of loving your enemies, serving the poor, okay, and uh, justice for the oppressed, he'd lose in a landslide. It's, the, the world is ordered differently. And so when we follow a, a king, a, a different agenda, okay, it's going to look pretty radical. Some of us have kind of grown up in the church thing, and we've kind of thought that, hey, going to church is kind of my thing. I, I do that on Sunday mornings. I occasionally participate in other things, and, and that's the extent to which I feel like I follow Jesus. But Jesus has a whole radical different agenda for us. And so we're going to get into that. We're going to find out what it looks like to live upside down. We're going to find out what it looks like to have a different agenda in our own lives. And this announcement of this new way to live, this kingdom of heaven, is the centerpiece of Jesus' mission. And if we want to follow Jesus in mission, well, it's going to be the centerpiece for us. And so Matthew chapter 3 is kind of the inauguration of it. It's the jump-off point. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the whole chapter, 17 verses. I'm going to read the whole chapter, and then we're going to dive in, okay? It goes like this. In those days... John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when they saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good, good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear 
his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into his barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Verse 13, then Jesus came to Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do not, and, and, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. So let me just give you a little bit of background here on Matthew. And some of you might know a little bit of this background. It might be review for some of you, but Matthew is Levi. Matthew is the tax collector. Matthew is one of the 12 disciples, and, and he, uh, and if this is really, uh, goes all the way back to early church writings that we know, confirm to us that this is actually Matthew. That, that according to all these early church sources, Matthew was legitimately the author of this account. And it's one of the most highly regarded and quoted gospels of the church fathers. He was a tax collector, as we know. Uh, We know the story about him and and Jesus and and Jesus asking him to come and follow him. And and it's interesting because it looks like, and, and scholars believe that he was stationed on a trade route near Capernaum. And he Part of his deal was he was collecting taxes on commercial trade for Herod Antipas. And so it was a big sums that he was collecting. He wasn't collecting from individuals. He was collecting from businesses, right? Commerce. So it was a pretty big deal. And so who better to sort out the accounts and to get the facts straight other than an accountant, right? And so Matthew learns and he, and he investigates and he, he gathers different pieces and different stories and he puts them together in account. And his audience are Jewish people. And we know this for a couple of reasons. One, he uses the term kingdom of heaven, not kingdom of God. And, and for Jewish people to say the word God, they would use other language out of reverence. And so kingdom of heaven was just how Matthew did it. The other thing was, is most, he quotes the Old Testament 62 times more than any other gospel writer, and he uses um, uh, Jewish phraseology and Jewish metaphor, and he doesn't explain it. Other of the gospel writers explain it, or they'll have parentheses or different things. So we know that Matthew's writing to primarily Jewish people, Jewish converts to the faith, and they want to know who this Messiah is. And so he uses a ton of background, Old Testament background, and we are going to be doing that, quite a bit of that too. And so let's just go a little bit chunk by chunk here. It goes like this. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching the, uh, in the wilderness of Judea. We learn from God, uh, the Gospel of Mark that the word of God came to John the Baptist in the wilderness. And, and, and he tells us, Mark tells us, that there's significant people at play in history at the time. Tiberius and a bunch of different people, and yet the word of God comes not to 
the head of the synagogue and the, the chief rulers. He doesn't, it doesn't come to the Roman officials. It comes to a, a camel hair wearing, locust eating weirdo in the wilderness. That's where it comes. It's just classic God, right? It's just classic how God works. And, and he's saying things like this. Just, you know, your run-of-the-mill self-help stuff. Repent, <laughs> okay? For the kingdom of heaven is near. And, and this word repent in, in, in Matthew's concept of it is very Old Testament. Like I was telling you, he's Jewish. And the Old Testament concept for repentance isn't, I'm sorry. Is it, it isn't like when you're trying to get your kids to get along, say you're sorry, I'm sorry. You know, it's none of that stuff. It's, it's way bigger. To repent in the Old Testament isn't just to change one's mind. The repentance uh, that Matthew is using, this idea, this meaning, is to change your attitude towards God so that it impacts your actions and your life choices. That's a big deal. To change your attitude towards God so that it changes everything else. And that's what John's getting at. And we're going to talk about this phrase, the kingdom of heaven. Well, get used to it for a while. And there's so much to it. And so I'm not going to try to unpack that right now. But this is, uh, this is the Matthew's kind of given a, the prophecy behind John the Baptist. And he talks about this uh, Isaiah kind of quotation about this one who's calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And, we, and, and, th- and so there's a prophecy about John who prophesies about Jesus, right? So there's a prophecy about the prophet who prophesies, right? And so if you're following the family tree on that, and, and then there's this whole deal with his clothes. I don't know why his clothes are important, but it just kind of gives us an idea that guy's really humble, um, uh, really separate, okay? Uh, when it's, you know, some of you are freaking out at the eating the locusts, right? But I think the wild honey thing's way freakier because you got to get that honey. And I don't know if you've jammed your fist into a honey hive or anything like that. I don't know if you've done that. Um, but locusts might be a little easier. Um, less payoff, though, I guess. Uh, so, so we've got John. Uh, and then we've got, in verse 5, it tells us people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Um, the Jordan River is significant. We'll get to that a little later. But think about this. People are coming from Jerusalem, which is the center of the Jewish faith. They're coming from all over Judea and all over the region of the Jordan. So even some non-Jewish places, people are coming. Something is happening. There is a stirring that's going on. People are talking to each other. People are, 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 are seeking something. They're, they're, they're trying to scratch an itch inside of them that they can't explain. There's, there's something that they feel they need to figure out. There's something they need to uh, deal with in their own lives, and they can't shake it. And they hear of this guy who eats bugs and <laughs> wears weird stuff, and he's calling them to something different. And they're hungry for it. 
See, I don't want us to, to lose sight of how significant five and six are. Man, I don't know if you've been there in your life before where, where you just know that nothing is just, nothing's working. There's something busted in me. There's something busted in my life and I'm not fixing it. And I can't seem to satisfy it. And I, and I need to deal with this guilt and shame in my life. And I need to deal with this hurt and anger and angst in my life. And, and I feel like there's something that is calling me out. And that's what a whole bunch of people are dealing with right here. But then it gets really fun. Because then the religious people show up, right? I mean... Wouldn't you? I mean, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm a pastor, and all these people start going to the wilderness to deal with some things spiritually. I want to know what's going on. And so I get my pastor buddies, and we go, let's go see if these guys are jacked up in their theology or not. And they, we go out into the wilderness, right? And John sees them coming. I mean, these guys look different than John, just a little. They tend to shave and shower and wear clothes that look like they're standing religiously or really important, right? And they go in groups, right? Because when you travel in groups, you're really important. If you travel by yourself, you're not important. So these guys show up as a group, right? Looking good, kind of, you know, sitting in the back, kind of watching what's going on. And John sees them. And it says, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers. He just gets right into it, right? Vipers, if you're not familiar, I did a little research. Vipers are like slow-moving, okay, snakes. They're really subtle until they attack, and they're just quick. So, I mean, when you can think about religious people, um, they, they probably looked really like, uh, like subtle and just quiet and watching, but they were just ready to, to bite anything that was out of line. And, and he says, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So when we talk about repentance earlier, um, it wasn't just lip service. John's saying this isn't lip service. This isn't religious uh, rigmarole and, and just kind of what you do every Sunday. He's like, this isn't what I'm talking about. He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And then there's this next part. It says, and do not think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. John's also getting right into their family lineage, saying that doesn't matter. Like, who your papa was and who his papa was, and that doesn't matter. That's not going to save you. That's not going to help you. I can make children of Abraham out of rocks. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So he's pretty much letting them have it. (laughs) He's pretty much saying the religious lip service stuff the banking on the fact that you're Abraham's descendants, that's not going to produce anything. You know, the fact that you go to church every Sunday and you listen to Caleb and good for you. So he gets into 
why he's doing what he's doing. Verse 11, I baptize you with water. He's talking to all the people here for repentance. And water's tangible, it's symbolic, it's something they understand. They understand this, this idea of being cleansed, right? But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. This idea that the Holy Spirit is coming to regular people. That's weird. That's hard. That's something that, that this is new. Usually the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was reserved for people that God anointed to do a special things. David and, and different leaders. And, and sometimes the Holy Spirit came on them for a little bit of time. What, what John's saying is something even crazier. And then there's this fire piece, and fire in the Old Testament is this idea of purifying and cleansing, removing, removing things in us that don't need to be there. And so what John's saying is the Holy Spirit's going to come and remove things from you, burn them away, get rid of them. You experienced that before? It's not easy, but it's beautiful. It's not fun but it's like freedom, you know? And so he's telling what's going to happen. And, and he says his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear the threshing floor. And I don't know if you remember, if you were here this last summer, we spent nine weeks in the book of Ruth. And one of the pivotal points in the book of Ruth is the threshing floor, right? And we talked about, we showed pictures of the threshing floor. We, we talked about what the point of the threshing floor was. And so, and so this is another Old Testament reference for the people. I mean, they know what's going on here. We're like, mm, whatever. Threshing floor, what's, what's that? And it's a place where the wheat and the chaff are separate. The stuff that's useful, stuff that's not. There's stuff that's useful in you, and there's stuff that's not. There's stuff that's useful in us as a community, and there's stuff that's not. And there's, there's, there's all this happening here that, that John is alluding to. And then in verse 13, Jesus shows up. I mean, you can imagine nobody knows this guy. Nobody really knows what's happening at the time. I mean, he hasn't famous yet. He hasn't done any miracles yet. I mean, he's just a dude from Nazareth. And the last time we've heard from him in the Gospels is he's a kid. And he shows up. It says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan <coughs> to be baptized by John. And so everything John had said at this point, everything John had said up to this point is actually about to come true. Everything that John said uh, was going to happen will happen. And two things are said to happen that are actually happening at the same time. First is Isaiah's prophecy about John the Baptist. And second is John the Baptist's prophecy about Jesus and other prophecies about Jesus all coming to one moment we're about to witness. And, and you know what I didn't notice? I didn't notice that this was going to be an event that it would be like, this would have been the cool one to be at, right? Like, <coughs> excuse me as I cough. There are things in the New Testament that like that. It would be really cool to be there. Um, and we talk about big events. And we talk about cru the crucifixion, the resurrection, all these different things that happen in the New Testament that are, that are amazing. 
But I think this would be one amazing event to have been at. Because you have a whole bunch of things happening at one time that were all prophesied about. And it says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And then Jesus said, let it be so. Let it, let it, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And and as this unfolds here, this is one of the first pictures of the Trinity we have. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting, alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And so this is a moment we actually see the, 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 the Trinity at work, that this, this, this three-person God, one, you know, essence thing happening. It's so hard to explain, so for us, hard for us to get to wrap our minds around, but it's, it's like the fulfillment of what God wants to do is starting here. It's like heaven opens up over this passage of the Jordan, this place of the Jordan, and this is where heaven meets earth for the first time in Jesus and I've always kind of struggled with this passage in some ways because it's like, well, why did Jesus get baptized? <clears throat> I mean, did he need to get baptized? I mean, he wasn't sinful. He wasn't, I mean, he wasn't obeying what John said, like, hey, repent. And I mean, that, right? I mean, the kingdom of heaven is coming to the Jordan and, and we see the heavens opened up and the father saying, Jesus, I'm so, uh, this is my son, I'm, I'm so pleased, um, the Holy Spirit descending, everything's working, and, and Jesus doesn't need to repent, right? I mean, he's, he's here, he's being baptized, so if he's not doing for, for himself, Jesus isn't being baptized for himself, but who's he doing it for? And what's going on? And why is this so significant? He must be doing it for some somebody. He must be doing it for some people. And it turns out he's actually participating in this baptism for the nobodies, the everybodies, and the anybodies. And Advent. See, Luke points to this interesting thing in his account of the baptism. Luke actually says that after everybody was baptized, Jesus got baptized. Like he was the, the last guy to go, Right? He was, the, he was the last person to be baptized that day. And it's almost as if once the waters of the Jordan River got good and dirty, right? They, it got good and dirty with all the sins of the people. Jesus got in. That Jesus actually shows up to earth not to get clean but to get dirty that part of God's plan is actually to get dirty with his people with his creation and 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 this is a a profound thing to think about that Jesus didn't need to get clean everybody else walked in to get clean right Jesus walked in to get dirty do you see how upside down this is? And, and, and it's a God who enters our mess. 
It's a God who, we say this over and over again, but sometimes it just doesn't register in our lives. We, we think that we have to have our lives together in order for God to show up. And actually, it's the exact opposite, that God shows up, meets us right in the middle of our worst. God meets us in the, the, the greasy, dirty waters of our repentance, right? Right there. He walks in. He gets in. He gets dirty. And, and this is where the forgiveness begins. This is where, okay, that God is able to, Jesus is able to call those things out of us that are, that are broken and, and, and sinful and, and chaff in order, for, in order to forgive us. Like, like that actually has to happen. Like we actually have to walk into the waters and let the sin go and that's when the forgiveness takes place. A God who loves you so much that he meets you in the murky waters of your repentance. Me and you. Arms wide open, steps into our mess. See, Jesus didn't need to be forgiven. We've talked about this, but the, but the, he came to take the guilt and the sin of the world upon himself. And we talk about that usually in, in places like the cross, right? But it turns out this is the beginning of that road. And Jesus steps into the waters of baptism, and it's all pointing towards the crucifixion. A few, uh, about a week ago, uh, Angela and I went to see the movie Lion. And I've shared this uh, movie with some of you just in personal conversations. And if you haven't seen the movie, I would encourage you to take a box, of, like a full box of Kleenex, like to the movies and, and see this movie Lion. If you haven't seen the trailer for it, um, I'm not going to tell you what happens, okay? Uh, but if you've seen the trailer for it, you know that it's about a little boy who's lost. A little a boy from India who gets separated from his family. I'm not telling you anything you wouldn't know by seeing the trailer. So don't come up, maybe you ruined the movie. Um, and the way they did it, the way they did this film, and it's a true story, and please go see it. If you, if you know a little bit about our cadence as a church, every once in a while we do a series called Box Office Theology. This one's a no-brainer. This is coming. So you're going to see it at some point here. <laughs> so just go see it. So anyhow... There's this little boy in the movie, and, and I was thinking, I was reflecting on this movie as I'm just, you know, it was just phenomenal. But the whole time I'm watching this little boy be separated and, and, and be in trouble and all this kind of stuff, I wanted to dive into the movie screen and, like, scoop this little boy up. That's all I wanted to do. And I couldn't do it. I mean, this little boy is so adorable and just so needing of somebody to rescue him. And I just, I mean, that was the emotion I had. I mean, I was thinking about this movie. I just wanted to just rip open the screen. Not that you can do that. But, and like just scoop him up. That's all I could think about. And when I think about that, when I think about how I felt about this little boy in this movie, I can't help but think about how God feels about us. And when we think about God's love for us, some of us have a hard time because we go, yeah, God's supposed to love us because he's God. 
but does God actually like me? I mean, think about that. Like, yeah, God loves us, and we, we think cognitively, okay, that may be true, or that might be true, or he maybe likes, he loves something about me that I, I'm not yet. But what if God was actually like that in the sense of God has this unbelievable yearning and just, just to dive into us, dive into our lives and into our mess and scoop us up no matter how dirty we are, no matter how hungry we are, no matter what we've done, that's the emotion behind God's love. And I hadn't experienced that until I saw this movie. I hadn't really thought about it that way until I saw this movie. And so this whole scene of the baptism is the road to the cross. This is this beginning of Jesus announcing, I'm here to get dirty. I'm here to get messy for you. I'm here to take on your mess. And so when Jesus steps into the Jordan that day, it was the beginning of this road. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians, kind of paraphrasing it here, but he says, it's he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And he even says in this uh, conversation with John, to fulfill all righteousness. This is part of the plan. And so the baptism of Jesus is this moment. The reason why it's so important is because in our baptism, we get to unite with Jesus. We we get to experience what it's like to not only have Jesus take our sin upon him, we actually get to the old part of us gets threshed out and we are new. That's why baptism is so important. Baptism into Jesus means our sin was judged by Jesus. He's got to call it out. He's got to call it what it is. Condemned by Jesus, our sin is. We're not, our sin is. And we die with him. And then we are also raised with him and we are set free. That's what's so powerful about this. And so, like I said before, of all the moments in recorded scripture to be present at, wouldn't this have been awesome? I mean, you got the religious people going, what? <laughs> and you got Jesus make, I mean, this is, this is a pivotal point. And you know what? And maybe this will help you help you a little bit just thinking about this geographically. When it comes to this is Matthew talking about the Jordan River. Okay? And when we think Jordan River we're like, yeah, I've heard that before. But the Jordan River is like the pinnacle river. This is like the place. This is three significant events have happened are happening here. The first one is the crossing of the Jordan, okay? Joshua leading the people into the promised land. It's just a beautiful picture uh, of the people coming to God and saying, no, we are set apart for you. There's this really fun day they have of circumcising each other. And then, I mean, it's just had to be awesome. And they're, they're hanging out, you know, and so the guys are just kind of laying low, you know. And, and so then they're crossing the Jordan. They're crossing the Jordan because of this a promised land. This is something that God has promised them. Four hundreds, like hundreds of years they've been in slavery and then God pulls them out and then they're wandering and they're kind of disobedient. And then finally it's this moment 
the moment they've been waiting for. And they cross from one place to another. It's a transition. It's a huge transition. And when, you, when you're a people of Israel, what do they look back to? <laughs> There's some significant things, significant things they look back to, and that's one of them. You remember that? And then generation after generation, they talk about it. And then they erect stones and a monument to it. Some of you know what that transition's like from before and after. When you crossed over, your moment of salvation, you can put it on a date. You can put it in a season. You, you know what you were before and you know what you were after, right? Then there's, a, there's actually a moment in the Old Testament with Elijah and Elisha, and there's this transition of leadership from a Elijah to Elisha that happens at the Jordan River. It's kind of a powerful scene that we see in 2 Kings. And then there's this moment. There's another transition happening to a new covenant that God is putting in place. One that's not about sacrifice and law-keeping one that's bigger, one that's about grace, one that's about a God who meets his people right in their mess, not after they've done ceremony, not after they've sacrificed, not after they've done all this other stuff. It's about a God meeting us right in our mess. And it's a new world. It's a new way. The Jordan River kind of represents in the Jewish mind place of transition, a crossing over. The old is gone, the new is here. That's what the Jordan River represents. And it's interesting and beautiful that these moments all happen at the Jordan River. And so this morning, as we look back at some of these transitions in the Jordan, that a wandering group of people, a lost, homeless, wandering group of people cross over into promise, okay? That in the baptism of the Jordan, you cross over from death to life. There's a transition that takes place. Any new beginning requires an ending. And so I think it's fitting in the new year is the church calendar is, 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 is rolling into epiphany, which is some of the celebration of Jesus moving towards baptism. And, 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 and as we're thinking about new things and, and new ways to do life, and maybe you've made resolutions, maybe you're afraid to do that. I'm not interested in getting you to do resolutions. What I'm saying is there's something about the newness of a year. Maybe there's a transition for you. Maybe there's a stepping over. Maybe for some of you, it's just remembering it. Like really remembering it again. Like living your baptism. Living the fact that you were once this and now you're this. And maybe that needs to take center stage again. And maybe for some of us, you've never crossed over. Like you've kind of dipped your toes in the water a little bit. You've kind of hung out with weird Christian people. <laughs> you've, you've done some of this stuff and, and you're just like, man, I just feel like stepping over that's just a huge commitment. Yeah, it is. But you're moving from wandering to freedom. 
You're moving from death to life. And you get to do it with a group of people that, I mean, you're called into a community of people that have moved from death to life. And so this morning, as we kick this whole thing off in Matthew, I just want to invite us um, in prayer to remind ourselves of this love that God has for us that is so intentional and relentless that like I wanted to dive through that movie screen, he dove, God dove through time and space to to be with us human beings and walk into the, the river of our mess. He wants to do that.